0: The Bioworld Insider Podcast. This is the Bioworld Insider Podcast. I'm Lynn Yaffe, Bioworld's publisher. The increasing use of artificial intelligence technologies across all stages of drug development is presenting interesting new challenges for regulators around the world. From discovery and lead optimization to trial data recording and analysis, the technology's applications raises new questions about the transparency of algorithms and their meaning. But even trickier has been a question of the growing importance for companies working with AI to accomplish these ends. Can an artificial intelligence algorithm be an inventor? And if so, can the AI system apply for or receive a patent? As a sci-fi fan, I'm sure some of our listeners might grin along with me after I admit that I can hear echoes of HAL 9000 saying, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can do that. So today joining Michael Fitzhugh, Bioworld's Managing Editor, to discuss these questions are Ryan Abbott, a Professor of Law and Health Sciences at the University of Surrey School of Law, and an Adjunct Assistant Professor of Medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. He also leads the Artificial Inventor Project, which is pushing to expand IP rights to the products of machines. And we also have Jim Belfiori, who is Senior Vice President of Innovation. He's also our colleague here at Clarivate, Barwald's parrot company. Jim has led, advised, guided, and taught pioneers across a multitude of industries, including aerospace, defense, medical devices, pharma, and more. Prior to joining Clarivate, he led the innovation consultancy, Sensorinus and held a variety of leadership positions at IHS Market. Michael, over to you. Thanks, Lynn. Ryan, Jim,
1: welcome.
2: Thank you, very excited to be here. Thank you, really really appreciate uh, the opportunity to
1: talk today. Both South Africa and Australia made headlines when patent offices in each country made interesting but different decisions on patent applications made in the name of the artificial intelligence system DABIS, short for Device for Autonomous Bootstrapping of Unified Sentience. The subject of the patent sounds kind of funny in the way that even the most amazing patents sometimes can. It's for a food container and devices and methods for attracting enhanced attention. Brian, what is this attention-seeking food container, and who or what invented it?
3: Well, you've delved right into the most knit picky part of being a patent (laughs) attorney, which involves technically combining two national applications for different inventions into an international one. Uh, But that's okay, because I think people are very interested in patent law and patent attorney work generally. So it was easy to, you know, get this project into public consciousness. So we had an AI that invented two new things in the sense that it automated what it is that traditionally makes someone an inventor. And one of the things that it came up with was a a novel food container based on fractal geometry, and the other was essentially a a light that flashes in a particular way to attract attention. And we filed separate applications on these, but at the international stage, we combined them. So you get two inventions for the price of one uh, issued in South Africa, although in some jurisdictions, they will split back out.
1: And how have the patent offices received these patent filings in Davis's name?
3: Well, substantively, they have received them well, we, we filed these initially in the UK and in Europe because they would do a substantive examination before a looking at the inventorship issue. So they both inventions were found to be new, non obvious and useful, which are what is required to, to get a patent, generally, uh, when we corrected it and said, <clears throat> actually, we don't have a traditional human inventor in this case. Uh, it got rejected from the U or denied by the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Europe, and Australia. Uh, South Africa was the first to approve it. It was approved in July. And so the AI is listed as the inventor, but the owner of the patent is the AI's owner, Dr. Stephen Thaler, who owns and operates the artificial intelligence. And a few days after that, the Federal Court of Australia uh, ordered IP Australia to reinstate our applications on the basis that there was no prohibition against patenting something just because an AI made it and no prohibition on listing the AI as the inventor. And at least in our case, Dr. Thaler was best entitled to the patents. Uh, the US, the UK, Germany, and Europe are still uh, working on it, but they'll get there.
1: And just as a, a side note, can you tell me anything about these inventions? Or do the, the content of the inventions maybe not matter, obviously? I mean, clearly they don't matter as much as the issues at hand. But I, I can't help but wonder, <laughs> how, is there any purpose for either of them? And does that matter?
3: Well, indeed. I mean, the applications matter as much as really any patent someone files on something. Most patents end up not being enforced or being terribly commercially valuable, but I think these two were just about as good as anything other than a cure for COVID. Um, You know, one is a beverage container that basically looks like, you know, the outside of a snail shell, which is an example of fractal geometry. And that's something that might help with transporting beverage containers or storing them or helping robotic arms grip them and transfer. And the other one is a A light that could attract attention, so that might be useful in an emergency situation if a plane crashes at night and you're looking to draw attention from either a rescue crew or perhaps an AI that is looking out for someone to rescue. Both of which have received some commercial interest in licensing, although that's a little tricky um, with the current patent situation. But but as you point out, these could have been any two inventions. You know, what everyone is interested in this case is the fact that we didn't have someone who... Did the traditionally inventive part of the inventive act? I didn't say that that well, but you know what I meant.
1: I think. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean that is really the next thing that I want to ask about. That I'm going to direct this to Jim. I mean, one of Clarivate's core beliefs and. I've worked for Clarivate for about seven years, and um, you know, as I've gotten to know the company better, I've gotten to know sort of the core beliefs and mission better. And one of those core beliefs that I've become more familiar with is that human ingenuity can transform the world and improve our future. What's your take on th- what Ryan's talking about here? Should AI systems enjoy the same inventorship rights as humans?
2: That's a great question, which just cuts right to the heart of uh, heart of the matter. Um, so in terms of uh, AI systems, one of the things that I find fascinating is that we are talking about, and by we, I don't just simply mean in this particular podcast, but you know, the, the topic before all of us uh, in in many industries and in governments is uh, we are taking for granted, perhaps, the definition of what an AI system is or what an automata is. And it's very similar to when we talk about topics such as innovation. I can put five people in a room and ask them, what is innovation? And I can get 10 descriptions. And so when we ask the question, should an AI system uh, enjoy the same inventorship right as a human, uh, we need to have a very clear definition as to what that system actually is. Now, this is nothing new. Uh, you know, we can go back to the the Turing test. We can go to a, a number of different ways of parameterizing, and and there are many sciences and uh, and people, including uh, Dr. Thaler, uh, you know, the creator of uh, co-creator of Davos, um, as to what makes for a self-organizing system. But we need to have a clear definition that we all agree upon as to what that system is. Once we have that definition, then, at least in my opinion, uh, can we start to say, does that kind of system enjoy or should it enjoy a certain level of rights, whether it's to inventorship and perhaps more importantly, ownership of uh, property or of of concepts. So uh, I, I would say that Right now, uh, we are we are in a period of transition, uh, as has happened throughout history. Human beings, uh, uh, as you've had the Industrial Revolutions, as you've had uh, significant changes uh, in, in how we organize, how we work, and then how we enable tools and technologies to help us improve, have caused these kinds of questions and existential questions to arise. But with AI in particular, we're, we're now at a point where we are creating intelligences that, and intelligent systems that are doing things that are human beings are not capable of doing, and they are providing ways of insight for human beings that otherwise would not be possible. Uh, a quick example would be uh, Alexander Fleming's discovery, for example, of uh, uh, happenings in a petri dish that that led to uh, the field of antibiotics. So. I will not sit here and say that AI cannot have rights uh, as inventors. I would say that we don't understand yet what a clear uh, and, and applicable definition of an AI system is, at least such that we can apply laws to it. Now that's just my opinion, and in fact, it's very much in the realm of uh, you know, Mr. Abbott uh, um, and, and others to to help define that. You know, th- this is something that is a very, very important question to resolve. That's my take, at least.
1: And what sort of characteristics would help you understand or come to you know an ability to more clearly make that judgment? Would you say, or just you know, society in general being able to judge that?
2: Yeah, that 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 is also a very important and a very very detailed question. I, I would say, um, independent of the characteristics, because they don't necessarily have to be human characteristics. Although human characteristics are certainly the ones that would be most recognizable to to other human beings. And in fact, many AI systems, at least as I understand them, uh, I, I am I am a lay person uh, and an enthusiast of, of the technology. Um, you know, the ability to create a memory, an ability to uh, have an emotional reaction. These may very well be parameters that can be used to measure an artificial intelligent or self-organizing system and its ability to create ideas. But I would say that the inspectability of uh, artificially intelligent systems is a characteristic that will become of paramount importance. Right now, um, we can identify That uh, an artificial intelligence system, especially one that that leverages machine learning, that is uh, really trying to develop concepts based on data that it's using to create its models and extend on them. We know when they are uh, uh, creating insights, but we don't necessarily know what led them to a specific insight. And so I think it's important that as we define what an AI system is that can have rights of inventorship or rights of ownership, that the inspectability of uh, those AI systems would be of paramount importance.
3: Michael, if I might just hop into that, I think that was a great answer from Jim. I think your point was well taken about human ingenuity transforming the world, and and that really isn't so different even once we have AI ingenuity transforming the world. we are moving increasingly to a paradigm though in which we want to in from which we want to encourage people to do things like find new drugs to one in which we want to encourage people to build machines that will do things like find new drugs you know fundamentally legal rules and the benefits of legal rules are designed for you know human beings and society uh, but it is through things like patent protection of ai generated inventions that we will influence the behavior of the people who make use and build ai that will result in more innovation and more social benefits for everyone so so even though ai is stepping into the shoes of people and doing human sorts of things you know at the end of the day the rules are always there you know for our benefit as a society and and sometimes we benefit more when we turn over tasks to ai that ai can do a better job of doing whether that's finding a new drug driving a car or, or diagnosing uh melanoma uh, in a suspicious skin lesion. I, I, Even though we listed in our applications an AI as an inventor, um, we didn't do that as a matter of providing an AI any sort of right. You know, AIs aren't legal persons. Uh, they can't own property. We've never suggested they should own property, because even though you could change the law, an AI wouldn't care about getting a patent, and it would be awfully difficult to exploit one. You know, for us, it was much more a question of, are the incentives right for encouraging socially valuable output from AI? And are we being transparent about how an invention was generated? And do we want to allow someone to essentially fudge the matter and claim credit for work they haven't done? Um, So at the end of the day for us, even though we're listing an AI as a patent, it's a very human centric framework that we're advocating for.
1: I have trouble grasping the the transparency part, less so the incentive to some degree, but the uh, the transparency aspect, I mean clearly AIs are at some point in their, I guess if you want to say lifespan, um, generated, you know, put together by humans. So if a human creates an AI, why is the human not the inventor?
3: Well, and this gets to Jim's point about defining artificial intelligence. And it is challenging when you put five people in a room and get 10 different definitions of innovation. Even harder when you start regulating for innovation, you really need to have a standard set of definitions. And right now, as people are trying to regulate AI around the world, you know, people have very different ideas of what that sort of thing means. You know, just as with innovation and AI definition, so too is inventorship not only a concept that differs significantly between jurisdictions, but that often isn't that well defined within jurisdictions. It's one of the mushiest concepts of patent law. You know, when you have a research group and the group says, yes, these four of us are inventors, you know, that has different meanings to different people. So of course there are people all over AI generated inventions, you know, at least designing an AI. And if you ever had an AI that made an AI, well, someone started the AI in the first place or started with the original AI. You know, the question for us and for me as a patent attorney is what is the thing that makes someone an inventor? Uh, it's generally not solve, you know, finding a problem to be solved. Uh, sometimes it could be programming an AI to solve a specific problem, but, but not if the people programming the AI and the people using the AI are different people and the programmer may not use know specifically what the AI is being used to solve. You know, Sometimes recognizing the value of AI output, but AI can recognize the value of its own output depending on the design of the AI. So in our cases, it wasn't that there weren't people involved, it's that no one did what it is that traditionally makes someone an inventor. And that activity was at least functionally automated by the AI. You know? and i think an analogy is for example in the self-driving car context you know people design self-driving cars sometimes very large teams of people you know but when we get a fully self-driving car that will take me from point a to point b you know there really isn't a sense in which there is a person directly responsible for that ai is driving the ai really is functionally automating the activity of
1: driving and in terms of incentivizing innovation are traditional incentives, economic, societal recognition, you know, falling short in driving innovation, and AI offers something additive there. Or tell me more about that.
3: So, though people have tended to focus on the AI inventorship issue, you know, it is certainly the not the most important commercial issue with these applications. The most important commercial application is if you don't have a traditional human inventor, can you get a patent at all? Because the outcome of the US, the UK patent offices saying, well, you can't list an AI, but also there's no person you can list in this case based on what you've disclosed is you can't get a patent at all. And Increasingly, companies like, for example, Siemens, have been publicly stating that they have had instances in which they have been unable to apply for patents because of this phenomenon. You know, if you look, for example, at AI making music, that's something it's done for decades, but the music's been really bad. So it's only been doing it in a way that's been academically interesting. But AI is getting good enough that the music is, you know, now getting to be tolerable. And in the next several years, AI may start making music that's really commercially very valuable. If it does that, then there are commercially very significant implications to whether if an AI makes a best-selling song, you can own or license that, you know, sell it in movies and video games and streaming services. You know, and the answer right now differs by jurisdiction. You know, similarly with AI, you know, not only do we now have instances where you don't have traditional human inventors, but as AI continues to improve, we're going to get a lot more of that. And under the current law in the United States, uh, the law basically says to companies, even if you can use an AI in your research and development more more effectively than a person, you can't do that if you need a patent, right? You have to rely on people to do research or a human in the loop, but that may not be the most efficient way to innovate you know for example with having ai optimize industrial components or repurposing drugs for new indications and so you know that is really the commercial and the innovation harm that's being caused by current policies
1: so i want to get at this element of risk a little bit more um ryan what's at stake if societies don't create a legal recognition for ai inventorship
3: you know, there are a number of issues raised by these cases, you know. And, you know, again, as I mentioned, I think commercial issue number one is can you get protection for things invented by AI? And there are ways to do that, you know, for example, by legally deeming someone to be an inventor. That's something the United Kingdom does with AI copyright. They take the human producer of the work to be the author when there isn't a traditional human author. You could also say for an AI generated invention, you don't need to list an author, or we'll find some other way of saying someone who doesn't traditionally qualify qualifies here. All of which though is in some sense acknowledging that AI is automating inventive activity. You know, if we don't have a system for that, then it again says to businesses, if patents are critical to your business model, then this is not something that you can do or use. And as AI, continues to improve, I think, in the next coming years, we will see it become really the standard way that people solve problems in some industries. You know, and I do think optimizing industrial components and repurposing drugs are, are two examples where AI is used very heavily. Um, and if you're in an industry like the pharmaceutical industry where you really need a patent, then you have to design systems with people in them to point to as inventors or fudge the thing and hope nobody notices. you know. But the end result is that outdated laws are really interfering with the pace of scientific progress.
1: And Jim, you told my colleague Tamara Sammy that there might be ripple effects from rejecting the prevailing anthropocentric view of the patent system. Like what? There
2: are Really, again, there's a lot of a cause and effect relationships that, um, as we talk about this in terms of risk, uh, engineers might call this FMEA, uh, FMEA, for example. Um, uh, not saying that AI is a failure mode, uh, but uh, if we were to you know, propagate through uh, the unintended consequences, there, there are actually uh, a variety of consequences and controversies that are uh, going to be associated with AI as inventors. and. And I would say, regardless of whether or not uh, AI is an inventor that then is allowed to be named as an inventor on a patent. We uh, talked a little bit earlier, uh, one of the questions was on incentivization. And you know, this is a topic uh, that that's under a lot of discussion with some of my colleagues uh, uh, here at Clarivate. Um, AI inventorship uh, removes uh, potentially capital barriers to research and development, and that could potentially create IP asset inflation, which could cause erosion in the value of invention and innovation, and potentially could be rather upsetting to R&D incentivization. Um, It could... Uh, incentivize trade secret usage, um, removing disclosure from the public sphere, uh, and inhibit general technology development, uh, you know, including that of some inventing machines. Now, I could list a, a number of other. Here's what could happen. The problem, of course, is that um, you know nobody's got a crystal ball that can actually say what's going to be very specific. My crystal ball is a bag of glass shards, so I've I've long since stopped using it. Um, but um, you know, to reject, I would say that uh, the rejection of AI as inventor is as bad of an outcome as uh, embracing our robot overlords with open arms uh, and, and just simply saying, uh, you know, what, whatever is decided would, would be best. Um, so. Uh, if in fact I'm reading a book right now, I, I may have uh, mentioned earlier. It's the Age of AI and Our Human Future. It's uh, from Henry Kissinger, Eric Schmidt, and uh, Daniel uh, Hotenlocker. Um, they've got a really good uh, couple of chapters or the end of that book in terms of saying, you know, just looking at what happens if we accept, what happens if if we um, you know reject, the react and adapt. Uh, process is, is probably the most common for for human beings. And in some regards it's going to be the least efficient way that, that we grapple uh, with these issues. And so if, if, if we do nothing, then we're going to be in a reactionary mode with regards to each of the different cases of AI inventorship uh, that surface. We've seen this with technologies that don't necessarily go through a patenting process whether it's the uh, uh, ethical use of uh, deep fake technologies, uh, whether uh, it's it's the use related in some pharmaceutical worlds, So what I would say is that if we reject the technology, if we simply say, no, this cannot be allowed to be considered an inventor, this cannot be something that can own property, uh, I suspect the genie is already out of the bottle. And there will be other actors uh, in, in other parts of the world that, regardless of whether they are seeking patent protection, are going to continue to push and evolve the technologies and the capabilities. And rather than address these issues in a stage and with parameters of our own choosing, it's going to be done in an area that is not of our own choosing. And that could be perhaps far more difficult.
1: Ryan. How do you think this issue is going to develop in the year ahead? I mean, you know, Jim is talking about the shards in his back. Um, is the do you, do you feel that you are gaining a clear picture of comp- potential compromise ahead? Um, you know, which legislators and inventors and IP experts come together to amend laws and, you know, share definitions in a way that makes room for the assignment of patents to AI inventors?
3: Well, again, just to be clear, the AI in our case will never own a patent and we have never argued the AI should own a patent um, again, not because it is a philosophically terrible sort of outcome, you know, in point of fact, most patents are owned by corporations and a fairly small number of corporations have an awfully large number of patents. So the idea of an artificial person owning property or owning patents is really something we already accept fairly well. You know, with We do that though, not because companies are, are morally entitled to rights, but because they're members of our legal community in, in ways that benefit people. So you know, we think that because you can have companies as an immortal artificial legal person, uh, it makes it easier for commerce to take place and it promotes entrepreneurship, and ultimately, we as a society get more and better sorts of outputs. You know, again, I, I don't know that that works well in this case with an AI simply because it is less sensitive to receiving property than the company that owns the AI would be, and also would be very difficult to enforce it. But in terms of recognizing that AI is factually inventing and that it is important to protect this sort of output and that it is important to be transparent about how innovation occurs. I actually surprisingly do think that we are headed in the right direction with this. Uh, Whereas a few years ago people did seem to think it was a bit far out, you know, now it is much less the case that people wonder whether this sort of thing is happening. And we have already had not only the decisions in south africa and australia but legislative changes or activity in india where they've done a parliamentary consultation recommending that the law change explicitly to protect this sort of thing uh, the President of South Korea recently announced that AI-generated invention should be protected. And the UK Intellectual Property Office, while they have been contesting our applications, is also now running a public consultation to potentially make a recommendation to parliament about changing the law. And it does, for me, seem like that's a very real possibility right now. So I, I think that cu- countries, especially countries that are IP exporters like the US and the UK, are recognizing that AI and IP is going to be a critical area for them in the near future for their industrial strategy and for their IP strategy. And so there's a growing consensus that there, it is vital to protect AI-generated innovation.
1: Thank you so much for illuminating this issue for us, uh, educating me on it as we went, and uh, to both of you for engaging in uh, this matter in a way that really is uh, clearly driving innovation forward. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.
0: A truly fascinating discussion. Thank you both, Ryan and Jim. As always, Bioworld will continue to keep you informed of all the most important scientific, clinical, and business updates. So that's our show for today. If you need to track the development of drugs, turn to bioworld.com, follow us on Twitter, or email us at newsdesk at bioworld.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us.
1: BioWorld, published by Clarivate, is a subscription-based news service, but all of our COVID-19 content, over 6,000 articles and data entries since the start of the pandemic, are freely accessible.